Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. During times of a public health crisis, churches are often asked to halt normal activities. Today, John talks about how when Christians obey governing authorities, it's actually a significant witness and important to the gospel. Let's listen now to this fourth message in the Models of Good Citizenship series. It's called The Gospel, Obeying God, and Praying for Authorities, Part 2. Here's John. The gospel produces a submissive, obedient, subordinate heart to authority. And so let's think about this moment this morning. And let me just offer you this first point to consider about how we submit ourselves to all governing authorities. The first thing is this, is that governing authorities have not been granted the right to oppress their people. But listen, even when a civil ruler does not know the true God, as would be the case with the Roman Empire and Caesar, of which Paul was talking about in both Titus chapter 3 and Romans 13. Even when the civil ruler doesn't know God, Paul says that his vocation of of being God's servant entails being a minister of God, a God's servant. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says that civil authorities are to be God's servant. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Well, just one example we'll do this morning. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9, uh, God refers to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Listen, he calls him the king of Babylon, my servant. And so because, listen, civil rulers are God's servants, they are to love and serve their neighbors, They're the citizens. They're not to exploit and oppress them. Government authorities are not to use their power to persecute the adherence or non-adherence of any particular religion or to establish any form of evil. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says that civil authorities are to work for the good of their citizens and to punish evildoers. So that civil authorities that punish and oppress their people, they are acting outside of their vocation. And they'll be held accountable for, for violating their stewardship and their vocation. And so this brings us to the second point to consider in regard to Paul's exhortation for Christians to submit themselves under all governing authorities. Uh, just to remind you that the first point was this, is that governing authorities have not been granted the right to oppress their people. The second point is this, is that there is a proper context for civil disobedience. Uh, one of my professors, Professor Scott Clark at Westminster Seminary, California, he's, he writes this. He says that Christians have a dual citizenship, and we've looked at that, that dual citizenship over the past couple of weeks. He says, but when our loyalties conflict, we prioritize our heavenly citizenship over our earthly citizenship. He says, yes, we are to submit to Caesar. That's what Paul says here. Caesar being Roman uh, instituted, uh, established government authorities. Yes, we are to submit to Caesar. Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 is quite clear. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17 says we are to honor the emperor, Caesar, government leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says that we are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. 
Why? He says so that we can live a peaceful and quiet, godly, and dignified life in every way. But there are limits to the obedience a Christian may render. For example, we cannot obey the magistrate when he demands that we sin. The apostles themselves, Professor Clark says, the apostles themselves set that line in the sand for us in Acts 5.29. Let me give you some more examples from Scripture in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, this famous story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they disobeyed King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when they were brought into direct conflict with his decree to worship his golden image. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel, who was a Babylonian government official, he disobeyed the, the, the Babylonian law, which brought him into direct conflict with the revealed law of God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jews' national ruling body and supreme court, they commanded Peter and John to stop speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. And so Peter and John answered them like this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5, verses 7, 27 through 28, the high priest, speaking on behalf of the Sanhedrin, questioned Peter and the other apostles. And he said to them, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And then and again, in reply, Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, how does, this, how does this apply to us in our current situation in America, particularly with wearing face masks, right? <laughs> we all don't like having to wear face masks. And, and let me just say that Christians in America, are, we're, we're not yet in an Acts 529 moment, okay? Um, unlike the apostles in Acts chapter 5, who are specifically targeted because of their religion, Christians are not being specifically targeted because of their religion. We're worshiping today, and nobody has told Paramount Church, you can't preach the gospel today. Um, in his article, Professor Clark, he goes on to say this. He points out that the restrictions imposed by the Jewish authorities on the apostles, that were not temporary, and ours are temporary. We're, um, we're not going to be wearing face masks forever. At least I hope not. If we do, then we'll revisit the situation. <laughs> All right? But for now, it's temporary and it's public health. It's not, you can't preach Jesus in America. But Dr. Clark shows that when the Jews imp uh, imposed these restrictions on the apostles, the Jewish authorities, uh, this wasn't temporary. Nor, listen, they, they issued in view of a grave, they weren't issuing restrictions to the apostles in view of a grave danger to public health. So this past week, we had a uh, Gulf Atlantic Diocese uh, clergy meeting with our bishop, Bishop Neil Labar. We call it GAD for short, Gulf Atlantic Diocese. And, uh, and Bishop Neal shared with us some insights on the history of churches facing past act epidemics. And I thought it was very helpful, and it was very wise and prudent on his part, very insightful, and actually very encouraging. Uh, Bishop Neal shared how churches have been through many epidemics throughout history, 
And he says that, historically speaking, it wasn't unusual for these churches to close down and later to reopen as a result of the epidemic or the pandemics that they faced. And he says, look, he says, though this may be new to us, it has been a reality throughout the history of the church. Uh, this one New Testament commentator about Titus chapter 3, verse 1, submit to governing authorities. He says, says, Paul would not have wanted these instructions carried out regardless of what the governing authorities were telling the Cretans to do. He says that Paul was writing at a time when Rome was not aggressively attacking the church. But as is true throughout Paul in the New Testament, obedience to God overrides all other concerns, especially the evil demands of an ungodly government. Dictators and oppressive governments like in North Korea that forbids any type of worship whatsoever. Uh, These dictators, these oppressive governments, they're illegitimate and they lack valid authority. And so this is what uh, Gene Veith says about it. He says, so is it ever right to disobey the authorities? He says, in almost every circumstance, a Christian should, in Peter's words, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. But there are rare times in which a ruler acts outside his authority by violating either his nation's law or the higher law of God. In this case, the rulers no longer have a basis for their authority. They act outside of their calling. They violate their vocation. Sometimes a government might pass a law that violates the law of God, and such law can hardly claim divine authority. And so whenever the laws of the governing authorities conflict with God's laws and the Christian's conscience is left with no alternative but to disobey civil authority, we should do so with respect. We should also listen carefully when exercising lawful civil disobedience. We should keep in mind that we have to be willing to accept the consequences of these actions. And by showing that we uh, respect the the God-given authority of governments. This is how Dr. Clark puts it. He says, Christians must obey God rather than men. But when we choose to apply that divinely revealed priority to civil life, we must be prepared to accept the consequences. Dr. Martin Luther King did. He says this, he knew that when he marched, he risked being attacked by police dogs and hit with water from a fire hose and more. He lived under the constant threat of death, a threat that was finally realized by a coward shooting from a bathroom window in Memphis. Civil disobedience in our present circumstances probably means a ticket or a fine, but it may not always be so. You see, when you get to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation shows that when the state turns against the church, the the government, for example, was forbidding Christians to worship uh, Christ because in Paul's day, the the government called for the worship of Caesar. The book of Revelation shows that when the state turns against the church, Believers still have to submit to God even upon the pain of death. And so while Paul calls Romans in Romans 13, uh, verse 4, the, the, the instituted leaders of our nation, ministers of God, a generation later, John describes this same Roman Empire as the beast who is empowered by Satan to persecute the people of God. 
And so a Christian's confession that Jesus is Lord is likewise a confession that Caesar isn't, that the state isn't. Jesus is Lord, not the state. And so Christians must be cognizant that the kingdom of Christ can be seen as a threat to the power of the state. Here's a third thing to consider this morning. Paul views government authorities as instituted by God. Romans 13 verse 1. John Calvin says this about this passage. He says, no one ought to doubt that civil authority is a calling, not only holy and lawful before God, but also the most sacred and by far the most honorable of all callings in the whole life of mortal men. It's a powerful statement about government. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 2, that to disobey civil authorities in matters that do not contradict God's law or violate the believer's conscience It is to disobey God, or that it violates the laws of their nation. Such disobedience and such insubordination, Paul's point in Titus chapter 3, mars rather than adorns the gospel, and thus the church's witness to an unbelieving society is crippled. And so Christians are to live a godly life, both in private and in public, to adorn the gospel, Titus 2 verse 10, to honor the triune God who saves, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, to positively benefit their unbelieving neighbors in society, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. So as we reflect this morning on these lessons uh, from both Paul in Romans 13 and Titus chapter 3, there's important lessons for us to apply. And let me just give you three quick lessons about how we uh, demonstrate our our submission, our obedience to government authorities. In the book of Titus, there's an important point that we need to notice what Paul's teaching. Because as I said, in, 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 in Crete, Paul is addressing in these Cretan churches and in the greater Cretan society a problem of insubordination. And so he teaches, this is the first uh, application for us. He teaches in the book of Titus that civil obedience, chapter 3, verse 1, Ecclesiastical obedience, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Domestic obedience, Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Workplace obedience, chapter 2, verse 9, are all interrelated. He teaches us in the book of Titus that civil obedience is part of the larger teaching of Scripture on submission to God who's instituted authority. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. First uh, Peter chapter three verse twenty-two: Angels are subject to Christ. Ephesians chapter five verse twenty-four: The the church is subject to Christ. First Corinthians chapter eleven verse three: Christ in his incarnation only was subject to the Father. Titus chapter two verse nine and First Peter chapter two verse eighteen: Employees are to be subject to their employers. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, children are to be subject to their parents. Titus chapter 2, verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, wives are to be in submission to their husbands. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, young people in the church are to be in submission to the elders in the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, believers are all together to be submissive to one another and clothed with humility. 
Church members are to be subject to their ecclesiastical leaders. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 17. And lastly, Paul says that Christians are to be subject to their governing authorities. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So here's the point of all this. If there's a breakdown in the area of submission in one place it will ultimately lead to the breakdown in other areas. I have seen this played out with young people who are very serially unrepentant in their, 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 their disregard for authority. And they're just going to sow their, their wildest. I have to be free and do my own thing. And that, that uh, disregard for the neighbor's good can become very seriously harmful to a neighbor. And so Paul's exhortation to submit to civil authorities reveals a deeper, more fundamental problem, which is an an insubordinate heart. Just like in ancient Crete, insubordination is also a problem in our contemporary society. We, We don't like to be told what to do. We just love in America rugged individualism. But Paul is teaching us in the book of Titus that insubordinate attitudes in the home, church, workplace, and society damages the reputation of the gospel, and it hinders the church's evangelistic mission. This is why, for example, we didn't take lightly closing down our public worship service again. It was a very hard decision. But uh, in our church, we have governing authorities, and the bishop didn't require it. He didn't mandate it, but he said it might be wise for a season to close down again until we can get a handle on the spread of this virus. And there was wisdom to that. And so we as leaders in the church need to listen to those above us because that's how God has designed it to be for all of our protection. And so in contrast, a submissive heart instead of an unsubmissive heart is Christ-like. And Paul says it adorns the gospel. Here's the second thing. We can express a submissive heart toward our governing authorities by paying taxes. Right? Now listen for a moment. What would it have been like for Jesus to teach Simon the Zealot, who fomented rebellion against the Roman government, to have a submissive heart clothed with humility toward Matthew, the tax collector, <laughs> right? Matthew, the tax collector, was, was viewed as being dishonest, greedy, and unpatriotic. And so only something as powerfully life-changing as the gospel can bring together a zealot and a Roman tax collector, Right? And so the state may properly collect taxes for the services it renders. This is what Jesus teaches in Matthew 22, verse 21. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. All of Rome's subjects, including the people of Israel, labored under the empire's heavy taxation. Yet Jesus says, pay the tax. Now, his answer was quite brilliant, of course. Jesus teaches that the government, in this case Caesar, should be given back only what it was its due, yet divine, divine honor, which Caesar claimed, was to be given to God alone. And so listen, uh, uh, when we honor God, it doesn't mean dishonoring the emperor or the state by refusing to pay for the privileges of relatively ordered society, police protection, which we need. 
government military protection, which we need, uh, good roads, which we need, courts, and that we all enjoy these benefits. We should pay for those things. Now, we're not Roman government, so if you don't like our taxation policies, we can vote others into office and do something about it. But the point is, is that if we, we pay our taxes, we, we give what is to Caesar, Caesar's, we give what is to God, God. Then lastly, we can express a submissive heart toward our governing authorities by praying for them, which is what we tried to model this morning in the colics. When we prayed two colics, uh, praying for our government. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And here's the purpose, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified life in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And so God calls us and commands us to pray for our political leaders, even with those whom we disagree. Um, Our prayers are not to be based upon whether we agree or disagree with the policies they propose and pass. We are to pray for them. Our prayers are based upon God's divinely issued command for all who are in authority. And so here's the point. It is impossible to pray for those with whom our hearts are insubordinate toward, right? An aversion to pray for our civil leaders is a certain indicator of an insubordinate heart of breaking the fifth commandment. So here's an example from the Book of Common Prayer about how we are to pray for the president and all who are in civil authority in our country. The prayer goes like this, Lord, our governor, whose glory fills all the world, we commend this nation to your merciful care that we may be guided by your providence and dwell secure in your peace. Grant to the president of this nation, the governor of this state, and to all in authority, wisdom and strength to know and to do your will. Fill them with love of truth and righteousness and make them continually mindful of their calling to serve this people in reverent obedience to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. So you see, what is issue as we finish is this, is the church's evangelistic mission to an unbelieving world. That's what's at stake. The visible church... Is called to be a kingdom of priests. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The apostle Peter reminds us of why we're called to be a kingdom of priests. He says, the reason is so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The priority of Paul is the gospel and the church's witness of the gospel to unbelievers. I'll just finish with this insight from uh, Professor Clark. He says, some talk about contemporary application of twofold citizenship as though it is an attempt to flee from civic obligations. When, in fact, it is a serious call to take up our obligations to both spheres, both cities, under the sovereign lordship of Christ. It is a call to set priorities and to distinguish between two spheres so that we do not confuse our civil loyalties with our loyalty to the heavenly city, which is our most ultimate citizenship. 
And so a Christian submission, Paul says, to governing authorities is a good work which serves as a witness to his or her unbelieving neighbors to benefit them because such a fundamentally different way of life in the church demonstrates to a watching world the goodness and the kindness of our triune God who saved us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Thanks, John. The message we heard is called The Gospel, Obeying God, and Praying for Authorities, Part 2. More from the Models of Good Citizenship series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday, and it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.